the book of Romans. And once again, we'll be in Romans 13 today. Romans 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 to 14. I don't know if you've ever felt like that man, the thinker, he's brooding, thinking, and there's just this shadow over him that's kind of like a beast. And you wonder how I can shake this thing. Paul tells us in our passage for today that this is a common experience, and I'm glad that it is, to know that I'm not the only one. In fact, none other than Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, of course, was the, uh, the guy who was uh, martyred by the Nazis, a real saint. Yet still he wrote this. He said, In our bodies there is a slumbering animal, which is both sudden and fierce. It can master us with almost irresistible power. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled, and soon the flesh is in flames. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire or ambition or pride or the desire for revenge or love of fame or hunger for power or greed for money. It takes many different incarnations, but when the beast awakens, our joy in the Creator is extinguished, and we seek uh, our joy in the creature. God becomes quite unreal to us. The beast does not fill us with a hatred of God, but with forgetfulness. It envelops the mind and the will in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and decision are taken from us. It is here that everything within me often rises up against the will and the word of God. All because in our bodies there is a slumbering animal, which can be both sudden and fierce. What he's talking about is the, f- the flesh on one side that counters the spirit on the other side. And in a lot of ways, being a Christian can be a lot harder than not being a Christian because all of a sudden we're at war within ourselves. Before, we just had the flesh. Now we've got the Spirit, who reveals just how bad that flesh is. And the the question increasingly becomes, how do I beat the beast? How do I keep from, you know, being beat up by the beast? We're going to see today that there is one very simple tactic, and that is this, as I've titled this message very simply, don't feed the animal. Whatever you do... (laughs) Don't feed that animal in you. That's essentially what Paul says here at the end of Romans 13. It's his final application, kind of his last piece of advice, really, his 11th hour appeal before moving on to the next section in Romans, starting in chapter 14. And so, uh, in the Greek style, what's last is sometimes what's most important. He saves one of the most important things for last. It's the very end of this two-chapter section in Romans 13, In in verse 14, where he tells us to make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. That's where we're headed, but it begins a few verses earlier. Last week we saw that Paul's summary of Romans 12 and 13. We found that the entire list of commands in these two chapters, um, all the verses that we've been going through for the last several months, these, these wonderful qualities of true Christianity that can now be our own by the Spirit of God through us, each and every one of them, they're all summed up by one word. And that is love. Because Paul says in verse 10, love is the fulfillment of all of that. 
the fulfillment of the law. We saw that every dot and tittle of the law, not to mention all Paul talks about in Romans 12 and 13, is, is, is orchestrated to play the music of love. And so far over the last few months, we've been looking at one note after another. Last week, we saw what it was orchestrated to play. God meant it to be kind of the major key of our lives, the theme that can sweep us off our feet by the power of the Spirit through us, not to mention those who are watching, one that can fill us to overflowing as we walk in the Spirit, in a spirit of love, obeying not just out of law, as we saw last time, but out of real love, which is the true spirit of Christmas. So how do we cultivate it? Well, now we're going to see that more than anything else, there's one thing that can quench that spirit of love, that can kind of ruin the music of the gospel. And that is the beast, the noise of the beast, the, har- the, the, the howl, the snarling, the gnashing of teeth, the hissing, the whispering in our ears, that can, this brooding spirit of the flesh that can shadow you wherever you go if you're not careful. Whatever you do. Don't feed the animal. That's how Paul ends our verses for today. But let's back it up to where he begins it, having put it in the broad context. Let's look at the near context, starting in verse 11. And this do, he says, that is, love one another, fulfill the law in that way. This do, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from the sleep. Now, For now, salvation is nearer to us than we believe. The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. He kind of begins this with a note of urgency, a quiet urgency. This do, he says, that is fulfilling the law by loving your neighbor, knowing the time. And he goes on to make what you might call an 11th hour alert. In the light of the fact that Christ is coming soon. Paul makes, does first an 11th hour alert that we've just read, and then an 11th hour appeal. An 11th hour appeal, and that is, second half of verse 12, lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing and in drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. He's talking about the attributes of the beast, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then bottom line of what you got to do in order to be able to put them on, make no provision for the flesh. In regard to its lusts. What he's saying here is this. Don't give in to that dark force. The the paralyzing force of the flesh that can debilitate us. That can make us feel like we're demonized. Where you, you feel like you're almost becoming a different person. Or maybe your spouse or your kid. Don't let that happen. Don't be passive. Be proactive. Let the light of your life, he's saying, putting it together, anticipate the dawning of the day. When it's going to be always that way, when the degree to which you work on it now, the greater degree of light that you have now will result in a greater degree of glory then. Let it anticipate the day when Christ says we're going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. No more shadows. Lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. It's like Paul wants us to feel kind of this surge of energy, this adrenaline rush that comes when you finally can see, you know, the finish line. He's saying we're all but there. And if that was true 2,000 years ago, 
How much more is it true, you know, today? He's all but here, and so let us behave properly as in the day. As though it were already here, because there's a new day dawning. You might be saying, you know, how long, O Lord, till I get over this? And I'd say, you might feel like you're, you know, hanging on the cross right now. It might feel like Good Friday, but Sunday's coming just a couple days. You might be thinking, I can't handle much more of this. But Paul's saying, the night is almost gone. The day is at end. So live like it, because it's going to be worth it. Live as though this were the final stretch. You can do it and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Or anything tell you otherwise, especially that thing. And so based on this 11th hour alert that the day is near, again, Paul gives us an 11th hour appeal to act like it's near. And what that means is this. Next verse, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what we're going to focus on that next time is the positive. This time we'll focus on the negative, and that is the main thing that keeps us from doing that, which is why Paul leaves us to the very end for uh, as the most important thing that, that keeps us from staying lean and mean so we can run the race, so we can put on. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is, it's so easy to, you know, gain weight on the inside, to get out of shape, because it's so hard to stop feeding the flesh that can make us so sluggish. It'll keep us sleepwalking through life, barely shining. And so Paul says in the same verse, the last line, the last line of this section, make no provision for the flesh. In regard to its lesson. That'll be our focus for today. Make no provision. Let's unpack it a bit. This word for provision in the Greek is pronoia. It's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Timothy 5 8, where he says, If anyone does not provide for his own, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's talking here about someone who does not provide for his family, someone who does not provide what's necessary for the nourishment and the growth, you know, and the well being of his family. And with the same Greek word, he says to make no provision for the flesh. Don't do that with the flesh, do it with your family. That is, whatever you do, don't feed the animal. Now, of course, the question is, how do you do that? How do you feed the flesh? What does it mean to provide what's necessary for the nourishment and the well-being of this beastly animal that's in us? And who would ever willingly do such a thing? Well, again, it's all wrapped up in this term, pronoia, make no provision, which in the New American Standard Version translates, again, uh, provision. It's called a compound word because it's made up of two uh, different parts. Pro, which means before, and noia, which means thought. Literally, it translates forethought. Now, stay with me. When Paul talks about the one who does not provide for his own family in 1 Timothy, he means that he fails to provide food. That's the bottom line. But under that, so often, it's a failure of forethought. The problem here is thoughtlessness. Both are combined in the same Greek word, and in that context, it means lack of food uh, due to lack of thought. And so when he uses the same word here in Romans 13, he says that we're to make no provision, no pronoia for the flesh. He means that you should withhold its food, withhold its food by withholding your thoughts. You see, the flesh feeds on forethought. Fleshly 
thoughts always precede fleshly deeds. That's why in the New English Bible, it translates this way, give no more thought to satisfying the bodily appetites, another term for flesh. That's why in the New International Version, it puts it like this, don't even think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's another word for flesh. Don't feed the animal. The Scripture teaches that that the flesh is a very unique animal because it's got a very unique diet. In fact, there's only one kind of food that the flesh can consume, that the flesh can digest. And that is what you might call dirty thinking. From, you know, lustful thoughts to fearful thoughts to unbelieving thoughts to bitter thoughts to prideful thoughts. You might call the flesh the, the uh, catfish of the mind otherwise known as carp, right? Because it's constantly dredging the bottom for for all the garbage it can find. It's a bottom feeder. It's also like the blue whale. The blue whale, of course, is the largest mammal that exists on planet Earth, but it depends on the smallest food of any other mammal for its nourishment. It it feeds on one thing, as some of you probably know, and that is uh, actually millions of them, these teeny tiny little creatures that you can hardly even see. They're called krill, K-R-I-L. You may wonder, you know, what what difference does one little thought make anyway? How could such a small creature, you know, uh, little food produce such a large animal? Well, the blue whale never stops eating. It goes around with its mouth open wide all the time. It has these special teeth and fins that filter out the krill, and the water, leak, water continually floods in and out until at the end, end of the average day, it's eaten over a 1,000 pounds of these teeny tiny little creatures. How many pounds do you think your flesh eats by the end of the day? Probably more than we know. Just like the flesh, because all of our thoughts flood through it. That's the way we're wired. It's constantly filtering our thinking and constantly consuming the least little particles of, uh, of, uh, uh, of lustful thoughts or hateful thoughts or envious thoughts or greedy thoughts or prideful thoughts of these dysfunctional thoughts that all of us have to some degree that we may not even be aware of, which is why Christ came to be the wonderful, the wonderful counselor to help us understand ourselves. And so we say, Psalm 39, search me, O God, and know my what? Thoughts. It all comes from that. Try me uh, and know what's going on in me. Um, Sometimes I don't even know them myself and see if there be any hurtful way. And only then will he be able, as it concludes, to lead us in the everlasting way. Because our living arises out of our thinking. This is so important that it's all through Scripture, and Psalm 139 is just one of many places. Proverbs 23, 7, for instance, in the King James Version, as a man thinks in his heart, what? Yes, so is he. Romans 8, 5, we've already been there months ago. Those who act according to the flesh set their what? Minds on the things of the flesh. That is, fleshly lives come from fleshly thoughts. 
Christ has the most powerful teaching on that. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, as Christ said in Matthew 15, 19. It all begins with the thoughts. That's where it starts. And what do they give rise to? Well, he said, I'll tell you what they give rise to. A beast that's both sudden and fierce. And that's the way it goes in his teaching. Listen to what he says. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, and then suddenly, next word goes to actions. Evil thoughts Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. Cause and effect, sudden and fierce. It's like the old song, sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, Reap a destiny. There's a whole lot at stake here. You know, so often, if you're anything like me, you let your mind get away with murder, you know, and then you wonder why. Why did I get upset at Julie like that? You know, why did I say that? Why aren't I filled to overflowing as I walk in the spirit of love, the spirit of Christmas, the consummation of the law uh, out of joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the other fruits of the spirit? Why these fleshly fruits? Why? Well, it's because we don't do what Paul says after he lifts those fruits of the spirit in Galatians 5. Listen to what he says in the next verse. The same pattern as we see here in Romans 13, Galatians 5.24, fruits of the Spirit, and then those of us who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. No fruits without crucifixion. Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And what that means in practice is this, the secret of walking into the spirit, in the Spirit who's just waiting to flood through you, the Spirit of Christ, the love of God that's been, that's been poured out into our hearts, as we've seen in Romans 5, just available to be poured out through our lives. The secret of that happening is to put the dead, death, the deeds, the thoughts of the flesh that quench the Spirit. To put to death the deeds of the flesh, and here it is, while they are still thoughts. Put to death the deeds of the flesh while they're still thoughts. If the Spirit's not flooding in, flooding out, the question is this, what are you letting flood in? Sometimes with hardly even out, without knowing it, especially these days with all the junk that's in the media, all we expose ourselves to. What are you letting flood in? It's garbage in, garbage out. Monkey, think, monkey, do. Duh. Cause and effect. What's flooding through your flesh day and night? It's just like Paul goes on to teach in Galatians. The one who sows to his own flesh, Galatians 6, 8, shall from the flesh reap deeds, reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. That is, sow a thought, reap a destiny. And for every thought into the Spirit you sow, you reap a brighter destiny. Each thought becomes a degree of glory. That's how he rewards us, or at least one way. And so, whatever you do, take no thought to the flesh in regard to its lesson. So essentially he's saying that we're to starve the flesh. But of course, on the other side of it, we're to nourish the spirit. 
Some guy said, when I became a Christian, all of a sudden it was like there were these two horses in me, the black horse and the white horse. And I've learned through hard trial and error that the one that wins, the one that's strongest, is the one I feed. (laughs) So nourish the mind, the spirit, through your mind. Which you might say is kind of the other bookend on these two chapters, Romans 12 and 13. Where Paul says in Romans 12, 2, many months ago, that we're transformed by, remember what it was? Renewing our minds in the truth. That you may then act. Renew your mind that you may prove the will of God. Cause and effect. Because right thinking is the secret of right living. We spent a whole message on that eight months ago. We saw that you renew your mind through your daily devotions, through small group Bible studies that many of you are involved in, through brothers and sisters who speak the truth into your life so that we can see through our dysfunctional ways of thinking, through Sunday schools, through the men's iron hour where we discuss and unpack and talk about the scripture every Wednesday morning, through the ladies' um, Thursday morning Bible study and their Thursday night Bible study, through, I hope, sermons. If you think about it, we're going to be nourishing our bodies and our spirits in just a few minutes as we share a brunch together. And that's another way of bringing light into your life because that, too, dispels the darkness when we're all together, when we're not alone. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm alone, that's what happens. You become your own worst enemy. We need the light of the love of the body of Christ to dispel the darkness uh, of the flesh as together we stir up one another to love and good deeds. In so many ways, all through the day, the key is not to feed the animal in you on one side and then on the other to nourish the Christ in you. As moment by moment, in many and varied ways, we set our minds on whatsoever things are true. Remember Philippians 4.8. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, at all costs, let your mind dwell exclusively on those things. Only then, Paul says in the next verse, Philippians 4, 9, will you put into practice the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Which, as we've seen, are summed up by love. You want to be filled to overflowing as you walk in the Spirit, obeying not just out of law, but out of love and joy and peace and patience and all these other qualities of true Christianity. Well, it all begins as we clean up our thought life. It all begins, it's not the end all, but it's the begin all, with master control. It's the way God's wired us. And that begins... As on the fleshly side, as we just confess our sins. And in particular, as we confess the sinful thoughts that give rise to sinful deeds. We disown them by rebuking, renouncing, and confessing them. They're no longer the real you. The Christ in you is the real you. And so you can slay that without slaying yourself. You become more of who you were meant to be. And so I think it's providential that this is Communion Sunday because it's when we all confess our sins together. When he cleanses the whole body individually, and then there's a kind of synergy subtly. He cleanses us corporately to shine brighter together like logs in a fire. 
as we dispel the fleshly shadow that quenches the spirit of love. That's what this is all about. So why don't we have the servers uh, come forward?